Welcome back to The Reset Rebel with me, Joe Yule, and carry on a little walking tour of uh, Dalt Villa, um, looking for a, an appropriate spot to record today's podcast. Um, it's going well. It's full moon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention that. I wasn't going to talk about it, but I think that is possibly what's led to some of the circumstances uh, of the last 24 hours. So today's guest hasn't actually um, managed to make it, sadly. This episode is, is kind of about people that are struggling, and I'm really, really grateful to have um, today's guest joining us, who has come quite a long way to come down here and join us to grab the man who hasn't turned up and the reason we don't really know why Ricardo hasn't managed to join us but I got an email and um, this week with his story and it really touched my heart and he is homeless and I just think it's really kind of you know a sign of the times really that there's just so many people on lockdown locked in um, in properties and places all across the globe um, including myself when I was in India it kind of struck me quite hard that I was on lockdown with two billion people and many of those people in the country that I was residing weren't living in a place where they could lock their door. You know, people didn't have concrete walls. People didn't have the kinds of traditional sorts of homes that you would wish to be in for what, you know, was termed lockdown. And I think, you know, the other thing that crossed my mind a lot was the issue of homelessness um, at this period um, that we are in right now and how... Do you navigate life on the streets when you have no safe place to go to? You have no clean place. You have no hygienic um, access and you can't keep yourself clean. And these are all questions that I asked myself quite a lot when I was on lockdown and self-isolating on my own for a month in Brighton. And very many times I was walking around the streets there. Um, and despite reading in the papers that people were being put into hotels that were homeless, there was really no evidence of that. And when I plunged a little bit deeper into those stories, it, it seemed that a lot of those people had been turfed out for their habitual yeah, ways of life that they're not going to be able to change in a heartbeat just because they need a hotel room. You know, life is complicated and difficult and hard. And I really realised in Brighton that I probably hadn't seen or witnessed a lot of that spectacle of life. Um, and I really found it very hard to, to see. And I had to ask myself that question, why? And that is because I live in a bubble on a little island that's very cleansed and clinified. And I just don't, I'm not privy to um, those images and that network or seeing life at its hardest anymore. I've obviously recorded one of these podcasts before up in Sapenya um, where the gypsies live and life is a little bit different to the kind of white island image that we are projected as tourists and um, in magazines and Instagram and we all know that that is just not real life so it's really going to be an interesting episode to chat to today's guest who's also a photographer in Ibiza like many people um, who kind of you know work in the club world and land and obviously again projecting that image but she also does some incredible work and I'm so so grateful that Liddy Hampson joined us today in this beautiful alleyway that um you know it's not I'm not joking about the fact that you know it's full of urine but they're basically this is one of the key themes we want to talk about today mm. there is nowhere to go to the toilet or use a bathroom anymore is that for people that are on the streets no there's absolutely 
no availability for a shower, um, a private bathroom or to wash your clothes. Absolutely nothing since the refuge shut and since COVID, mm. which is a big problem. And obviously, I think, Ricardo, put in the story that you read, it's not only a problem to do with hygiene, but it's a question of dignity and how do people even feel like they can make a change in their life if they can't even go to the bathroom in private or take a shower or just these basic things that we so take for granted. Hmm. I think, you know, that really came to my attention when I was on lockdown um, in Antwerp, yet another chapter in my lockdown journey. And, you know, there was all these um, kind of restaurants opening up to do takeout. And it was like, oh, finally, we can go out for dinner. We can sit in the park and eat it. And we'll have a few beers and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, 20 minutes later, it's like, oh, God, I really need the loo. And there's nowhere to go. There's not one bathroom. There's not one shower there's nothing available just to go for a quick wee and I did find myself going to bushes in the park and you know I was a bit like "Mm, this is not ideal but you know for someone in his position it really broke my heart to read the struggle and exactly that the lack of ability to clean himself must be horrendous and then imagine being a young woman on the streets as well because we have quite a few friends who are female and that's just a whole other level of of a feeling of no dignity as well I think it's um I felt quite shocked when I realised that there is absolutely no availability for anything. Um, so yeah, we're we're trying to see some movement on that and see if we can get some places reopened or yeah, we'll see. I mean, it seems like a small thing, um, you know, having access to a bathroom, one of which we clearly um, take for granted. But you know, when you go to the beach, the showers are all turned off because of COVID at the moment, so there's no way he could sneak or anybody down to the showers now like people used to go before the airport have a quick rinse before you know they checked out of their hotel all of that is no longer and you know there is a real case of the new normal going on in Ibiza that people don't really talk about because obviously they are trying to win tourists back to this island which is basically bonkers at this moment in time you know this island doesn't really have um, a lot or any covid to my to my knowledge um, but it kind of strikes me as quite ridiculous to be kind of touting for more and more people to come here and of course we know that the economy is absolutely screwed but that's exactly how ricardo has basically fallen through the net like life has really dealt him a bit of a, a bad hand and a bit of a blow i mean how, what actually happened to him um from what he's told me he had um a bar or a restaurant in the port um that he just got essentially done over by his business partner and he had no network of friends or community around him he's estranged from his family and so he fell through the cracks and who catches you when you have nobody around you and that's how he ended up on the streets and he's been homeless now for six years so i think um yeah you can't under undervalue good friendships and good networks and good community because that's that's really where he fell out where he lost out I mean, we were talking about some of the other people that, you know, you see around Ibiza town. And I was telling you about one particular Mm. lady that has caught my attention previously. And the fact that I was always a bit intimidated by going over to see if she's okay because she was Mm. always crying and looking very, very, very traumatized. Mm. And I that traumatized me. But I was like, I don't I don't feel like I can go and talk to her. I was a little bit scared of her as well. I'm going to be honest. I mean, I didn't really know what to do, to be honest with you. But every time I saw her, it really, really upset me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's a lot of that going on kind of behind closed doors or just out of sight in Ibiza town mm-hmm. because it isn't a place you expect to see that. And when you do and you've been here for a while, it's kind of shocking. Yeah, it, it is. I think we were surprised by how many people had no idea that there is a homeless problem here in Ibiza. I think, like you've said before, the image is so projected that you believe that's the only reality. But there is... 
there's another side here and there are a lot of people that really struggle um yeah I, it's it's a an interesting one because it's not really what ibiza wants to be known for but i think imagine if this could be an island where we're known for really looking after our most vulnerable you know really getting alongside those that are struggling and giving them a hand up and yeah i feel like there's a lot of potential here to to do life differently and we'll see but it doesn't bring in any money does it and it doesn't improve um the image for tourists to come and spend their cash or for investors but i feel like there's got to be something more to life than that and we have to really value the person i think that's what i've so loved and what's been such a privilege living here and getting to know people has been genuinely getting to know people and not just the faceless homeless but you know each person has a name and a story and likes and dislikes and when we're cooking we know that this one really likes this dish but not so keen on that dish and i think it's just real isn't it they're real people and a bit like you said about the fear um i i think that stops us a lot doesn't it because there is that disconnect and that has been one of the joys of being able to slow down life and spend time with people is to lose that fear and not totally because sometimes like the lady you're talking about if she's really lost in the moment it doesn't pay off to go and approach her she needs to just be left a little bit but i i have absolutely loved that we've really got to know a bit more of the reality and some of the stories ricardo how long has he been living on the streets he has been homeless six years he's now just got a tent so he has a roof over his head but up until now he's literally been sleeping um just by the side of a, a major shop in Ibiza town mm. and had his whole life there just under a sheet wow. i know and he's 56 and he's italian yeah yeah and very eloquent you know speaks several languages fluently far better in spanish than i am and um, has so much to offer the world that's the thing so much interesting experience and history so much skill but until he gets that first leg up, it's very hard to break out of the cycle that he's in and to break out of the homelessness because there isn't an obvious way to do that, which I think is very difficult. And then it's very hopeless inducing, if that you know, is a correct... <laughs> it's not a correct word, but do you know what I mean? How do you even find the inner strength and the hope to make a change when it's going to be so difficult because there aren't those structures in place to really help you do that? Mm. I mean, it's very easy to say, oh, there's so much money here. Why isn't more being done? But, you know, we have got Caritas, the charity. There is one charity. And I love the fact that you guys have been doing this work, um, Ibiza 24-7, your charity as well. And you basically, I mean, how did you even get into deciding to start cooking and, you know, seeking out? these people and, and trying to help them what, what where did that come from um well actually we moved to ibiza because of the romani gypsies up in sapenya and we would walk across we lived the other well just at the other side of that villa from them and we'd walk across each day to see people and as we walked across plaza del parque we would see these homeless people and then the one day i heard an accent that was brummy like mine <laughs> so obviously we stopped and we chatted and we um began yeah chatting about this guy's day and he said oh i've got to raise 13 euros today to do a wash and i was like well we can do your washing give us your stuff and then you know, did his washing came for lunch and that's how it began really was just one friend and then it spread and then you know you start to get to know different people and think well you're hungry we've got too much food danny who's my husband you know go and take some food out to such and such and and so it began and then we would do the last three years we've done a big christmas meal very British, you know, crackers and turkey and cranberry sauce and everything. We do it up outside the old town walls, but open air. And each year it's got bigger and bigger. And thought, why are we doing this only on high days and holidays? We should be doing this all the time. If people are hungry, 
we have food we can cook so in some ways it's kind of a no-brainer it makes sense um so yeah and then different friends have got involved with that which has been so wonderful because it takes the pressure off us a bit but it also makes it more sustainable you know if we're just one family doing it on our own and I think what we've seen that I really love is this network of kindness spreading so different people thought oh well I could cook two meals instead of one meal and go and take it down to the guy that's on the street and and I absolutely love that and I think that's the key to change isn't it is impacting at all levels so you think you realize oh I could do that and and that that makes a difference doesn't it and then bit by bit you start to get to know the people that live on the streets in your area and they become human and they have names and they have stories and Mm. and then you start to genuinely care and not just see people or homelessness as a problem yeah it's been it's been a really interesting journey for us and a few months ago we sat down with some people and we said you know what do you see the needs as being on the street and what do you think we can do and I totally thought people would say more socks and pants more tents more sleeping bags and the first thing that was said to us was we need more love we need people to actually sit and spend time with us what happens if I'm ill and I'm not on this bench who comes up to me and says where were you yesterday were you okay Mm. and that hugely impacted me to think you can't put a price on time and it might look like there's no outcome but actually for somebody to feel seen and heard and to have that human connection when they're otherwise seen as you know people to be you know to move your children away from or to be to keep a distance from um yeah to actually see them as people and to spend time I felt deeply impacted Mm. yeah see I told you I was going to start welling up (laughs) (laughs) the full moon the the no sleep last night and um yeah that's just yeah that is really sad and really heartbreaking and I think you know exactly people do need to be seen and they do need to be heard and that's exactly why I wanted to get Ricardo on the podcast because I just thought (laughs) how wonderful to at least hear you know what he has to say and to be able to know that maybe someone's going to hear that and feel inspired by this whole situation that you've Mm. amazingly set up and created and you know found a community of people that all want to get together and do something but I think you know just people either ignore it or they just they don't you have enough time or they don't have the opportunity to delve a little bit deeper or they just think oh somebody else will look after that somebody else must be doing something to help that person but we're all just a little bit lazy and a little bit selfish and it's just too easy just to walk past and do nothing because you know if you ignore it then hopefully it will go away but unfortunately that's just not the way these things work we've had to rearrange our life to have to have times of availability so we purposefully don't fill out our schedules anymore my husband and I so that we've got time to spend with people and we put a priority on that and think this is a really good use of time this might not be bringing in the money but this is a really good use of time and it's it's worth it's worth not taking that hour's teaching so that I can have that hour sat here with this person yeah and I think the scene and the herd thing, one of the things we're hoping to do is to record more people's stories and just to get it out there because I think you're right. People either think either there's not a problem or somebody else is dealing with the problem or there's fear involved because there's not actual understanding. So we're going to, we, we've done obviously Ricardo's and we're hoping that a few more friends will be willing to just share how life is for them and, and what it is from the other side and the other perspective of living on a holiday island not as a tourist and not as a wealthy or a seemingly privileged resident but as somebody that really is yeah at the bottom so if people first off want to get in touch with you to help 
by maybe cooking or getting involved in that network of kindness that you just uh, described how do they get in touch with you well um, we've worked for a charity called 24 7 Ibiza so we have a, a website or very officially you can get in touch with me via Facebook Lydian Hampson um, yeah and and I think what I would love is that not everybody cooks for our friends here in our little barrio in the Varro de Rey and the, and, the, and the port but that people start to look in their own areas and think I can I can help this person here or actually you know I live in Santulalia, there's somebody that's on my street and I would just love to think that we could have that kind of an impact that that people start to have their eyes open to their own community and their own environment and think I can make a change here, I can cook twice as much and give out a couple of meals. I think the thing is, you know, as I said before we started recording, is like, you know, life is difficult in Ibiza. People, mm. people don't really talk about the trickiness of being here, mm. the extreme you know expense of being here it's not cheap um it's not easy and i think now all of these people these expats particularly that are here relying on the tourism season um which is now kind of starting to to trickle in i mean the island is really quite a hell of a lot busier than when i got here a month ago i'm quite shocked but i think you know i was very very um surprised i think by how bad it is for a lot of people that you know even friends of mine djs people in the music industry mm. there's no nightlife amazing but actually hang on a sec how are these people going to live how are they going to pay their rent what are they doing for work people are really really stuck and you know we might have a little homeless problem here now that everyone likes to cruise by and pretend doesn't exist but actually i don't think it'll be long before it is a hell of a lot worse than it is right now and I think that's the concern, isn't it, is that people may be able to make enough to, to get through summer, but not enough to save up for the winter. So what happens in the winter? Who else are we going to see on the streets? And already we're seeing new faces on the streets now. And we always do in the summer. But there are new faces that Danny and I don't recognise in our own little area. So I think, realistically, it's only going to be on the rise. But isn't that, that just highlights the need for community and for connection and for vulnerability, you know, helping each other out, being willing to share what we've got, being willing to also share our experience, good and bad. Um, yeah, and to, to create a network that's strong enough to not let people fall through the cracks, to not let people fall through the gaps. So we're just having another little walking tour down this... Uh hilarious alley the one right at the back of Delt Villa so like to our left is a very 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 tall wall um, which even if you were in prison I don't think you'd even want to try and climb up that one to try and scramble over um, but it is acoustically a little bit more sound because um, we're not right next to the, the scooter park um, as you can hear the birds are tweeting away merrily or maybe some one of these apartments actually has birds inside um but you know the thing i like about this area and i think that draws a lot of people into wanting to live in a beat the town is obviously because you've got everything on your doorstep but i think that the one hidden little pocket and what you just described as the reason that you moved here is because of the gypsies mm. and i think that nobody knows about the ghetto of Ibiza in Zapenia. Um, no one knows it exists no one knows what it's like up there and as i was saying i recorded a podcast there once upon a time actually as we were recording it I don't think they liked the fact that we had a musician playing some music and you know there was quite a few people in our uh, crew as we were putting it together and basically they kind of warned us a couple of times like to go somewhere else and do it and we paid no attention and then someone um, lobbed a big cup of urine (laughs) off their balcony and basically we dispersed (laughs) 
the image that people have it conjures up uh, I did laugh there yeah. we just found it very amusing I mean a little bit scary but mostly very very funny when we first moved here we came here because the Romani gypsies were here and just find them such a fascinating group and and we did a lot of research and we used to walk right into Sapenya and just see who was about and then when we first came here we decided to really research their history their culture their values and what we realized was this may be legally we may be fine to walk through this area we have as many rights as they do but actually culturally you're walking straight through the heart of their home and that's what was making that was what was uncomfortable in us when we realized that ah this is this is why it's not okay actually because if somebody just walks straight into my home I would not be okay with that and there's that sense there as well so actually for us we ended up not going back in until we were invited in by them and we go in when we're invited so we go in weekly Um, but until we actually got to know people we would just sit at cafes and bars around the bottom of Sapenya and where we knew a lot of people were and now we have a lot of friends there and um, yeah and it's a very special place there's a lot of uh, yeah there's there's a lot of um a lot of hidden gems up there and, and culturally just so interesting and so different. And I think the other thing that I realised was, you know, I act as if my cultural my culture and my cultural ways are the right ones and therefore when theirs clash with mine, theirs are the wrong ones. Um, but we've we've just come to appreciate the differences more and celebrate the, the beauty that there is there. Mm. Um, yeah, and not just assume that our way is the right way because we're in the majority. But the thing that you see more than any other when, when you go up there is, is this sense of community, oh, of belonging and utter chaos and carnage in the street. You've got dogs, babies, you know, washing, um, just madness going on. And But, not, you know, you, you walk up there and you probably just think, oh, my God, that looks horrendous. But actually, particularly in a time like COVID, I mean, was anybody actually locking their doors and staying inside the house? I very much doubt it. And, you know, all these people locked away in their little kind of silver palaces um, during COVID. We've got some chaos going on behind us, somebody opening doors and probably about to lob some a bucket of wee over the, over the edge of that one. I don't fancy that. Let's go. Um, but um, what I love is, is the fact that there's so much loneliness. There's so much separation. There's a man on the phone behind us. That's not going to work either. Um, and I think that it is a real situation that we are facing in these times is that there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of borders in terms of you know people now feeling more isolated than ever before because they've come out of lockdown but they've basically been um you know pulling up the drawbridge and they don't know like a lot of my friends and people that I work with and talk to are are sort of saying that they feel really anxious in social situations they're not Mm. able to reintegrate now Mm. for example in Sapenya this is why I just think it's genius is that I'm sure no one's having that problem there because there is such a closeness and that's the same in India because no one was uh, withdrawing in the way that we have done in the Western world because you just wouldn't, would you? Yeah. You know, they, they don't have that opportunity anyway. Mm. Um, and I just felt like that was a beautiful thing because I was posting pictures on Instagram from India when I was teaching yoga and everyone was like, oh, stop doing that, it's not safe. And it's like, yeah, but we're still two metres apart. But at the end of the day, mm. we need community around us Absolutely. in times like those. It's not healthy to suddenly shut the door and watch tv 24 hours a day and just consume things that are just going to make you more fearful i think you know in some ways okay the homeless situation is horrendous and the dignity the cleanliness angle is awful but at least they're outside in nature and at least there is people um hopefully listening to this and who maybe might be able to do something to offer something and i just feel like 
you know, the one thing that was talked about in that article and that I've thought ever since I got here is that, you know, basically because of this ridiculous tourist situation here, you've got all of these empty properties, apartments, hotel rooms for six months of the year or more. Mm. They are not being used. And then you've got all these people that have got nowhere to live and can't afford Mm. to probably pay their rent, Mm. particularly this winter, as we just talked about. And it's like, this is just a silly problem. We've got buckets of space and places where people can go, but basically... They don't have the access and they're not allowed. And it's like, you know, it's the segregation again of this island, which puts people in some positions of power, like everywhere in the world. But ultimately, you know, there's a real separation, I think, from the people with lots of money right now and who were on lockdown in bloody great big villas on the side of a mountain and could go hiking in the hills and have a wonderful time with their family and friends who live locally to people in apartments in Sapenya or here in Dolt Villa that are paying probably through the nose and probably seriously can't afford it anymore and they don't know what they're going to do and this is just everyone's in a pickle Uh, apart from I don't think people that really have a lot of money are maybe in the same position because they're people that had it it's not a hand-to-mouth situation it's only the people that you know their income has been affected that are in this position and you know that's that's the sadness about this covid situation and and that's why I think it's it is tragic that there's people really really suffering um in the way that ricardo seems to be also although he is in a better place and you say he might have given up drugs and he has yeah no i think thanks to being in the red cross refuge which was open i think it was about eight weeks that that refuge was open in blanca donna school because it was a zero zero percent zero tolerance um on drugs and alcohol they had workers there so that just gave him the opportunity to get off get off what he was on a long enough time to actually see some change and since coming out he's got a tent he's got a little bike and just having that that sense of space and privacy and being able to zip up a door even if it is only a canvas roof to have a roof and a door um, has really helped him and now he's been months back on the streets and still doing really well on a journey but doing so so well and I think just having that couple of months of food um, showers, community is another thing that he said um, has just given him that lift and that start that he needed to make a change in life and, and it's paying off, he's taking advantage of that and he's making the most of, of that situation and he even says, I think he said in the article, you know coronavirus actually saved my life, <laughs> instead of killing me it saved my life because it gave him different opportunities and the amount of times that we thought that we would find him dead on the streets the amount of times and to see him now it's just amazing absolutely amazing and do you think that's because you've just given him a few basic things that he really really needed to make that step up to level up just slightly I think so I think sometimes it is it's just those small things isn't it that make a big difference to just get you going on that journey of change and and to give you the hope and the belief that you're worth it and that you can do it and you know, if you're if you're given access to absolutely nothing, how do you even think that you're worth you're worth it, or that it's possible to be different, to have a change in life, to make to make a better life for yourself? What do you think Ricardo needs to actually get out of the pickle that he's in right now on the streets? Like how how what would be the best thing somebody could maybe potentially do to help him? I think what he needs are really good friends that are going to help influence him really well. He needs community around him that are going to be positive. I think he he needs people to cheer him on when he's struggling. He needs clearly somewhere that he can live that's safe, 
that he doesn't have that sense of this could all be taken away at any moment or my tent could be discovered or um, so yeah I think he just needs a few of the basics that we don't value to then think do you know what? I am worth it I have got skills I can I can do a job um, but I think when you're homeless if you can't even wash yourself how do you feel like it's worth going to an interview if you're so obviously homeless and you can't shower and you haven't got clean clothes and so yeah I think I think the basics stand for a lot more than we realize it's just it's a vicious circle but it's also the chicken and the egg situation like which came first like you know did you start boozing and taking drugs heavily before you came homeless or was it when you became homeless and then you lost hope and then you turned to all the usual crutches to try and escape in your head from that horrible predicament you're in and there's no way out in your mind but it gets worse and worse and worse and then you've got double problems and for the majority of our friends they haven't become homeless because they had drug or alcohol problems that has come as a result of being on the streets of being bored of needing a way to escape or to cope and drugs or alcohol have been the way I mean we had one friend he used to drink 20 cans a day and then we started lending him books and he's gone from something like 20 cans a day to 2 cans a day because he staved off his boredom what he was was bored and he needed something to do and and so cheap cans of beer were what it was. But now that he has this something else and a different way of escaping for the time being, we've seen this huge reduction in, in his alcohol intake, which um, has led to him being much more lucid. We can have much clearer conversations with him. And there's much more hope for him. And obviously that isn't the complete answer, but it's part of it. And I think, you know, we were talking about cooking the meals and, and what people can do. It is only a meal, but it's also that connection. The meal is an excuse to create friendship and to create some kind of bond between you. I don't mean in that strings-attached way, but just that, that human connection of here's a meal, but actually what I want is to see how you're doing and natter with you and you to see how I'm doing as well. It goes both ways, doesn't it? People aren't basket cases. People on the street have something to offer as well. And just as a little example, you know, we do this Christmas meal and one of the guys saves up his little Caritas tokens for the charity shop and each year, without fail, he gets our children a present. And I just find that so, so precious, so precious. And he gets them wrapped and he puts them in the Caritas office so that they don't get damaged or lost. And I think that's part of it as well, isn't it, is letting people know that they have something to offer. The help doesn't go one way. And I think that can sometimes be a danger is all our helping actually makes it worse but there has to be we're all on the same level and it's all about helping each other and them helping us and us helping them and we're just in different at different stages of the same journey essentially and um, and that has been a big thing that Danny and I have learned that they have an incredible amount to offer to offer society to offer us personally um, and it gives people that sense of worth doesn't it if you say do you know what? My kids absolutely love that cuddly toy that you bought them and now my son won't go to bed without it. And it makes him feel good and mm. it makes my son feel good, it makes us feel good and, mm. yeah, and kindness makes the world go round, doesn't it? <laughs> absolutely, especially at the moment. And, you know, that's why I just, like, have a real thing about the masks. It's like you just can't see people smiling mm. at you anymore. You can't see that that sense of physical connection to someone's yeah. emotions and and kind of way of being that's like gone without being able to see that person's mouth but I guess as we were speaking about when we were in the coffee shop before that lady who's got the mask on had the most amazing eyes and would we have noticed them as much if she hadn't been wearing it yeah very true very true 
Anyway, I think we're going to have to draw this one to a close. It's actually raining now, and, <laughs> and the smell is kind of starting to get to me a teeny bit. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really grateful that you made the time. It's a tragedy that we didn't get to speak to Ricardo, but we will have to find him another time and, um, yeah, maybe hear some more of the, the stories that really need to be heard. So thank you so much for kind of um, summarising some of that, and um, we'll have to, yeah, catch up again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. A real privilege. Thanks. Okay, thank you so much for listening to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. Do come and find us on Instagram at the Reset Rebel, or drop us a little line if you do want to get involved and help out Lydianne with her amazing work. Um, to just the good news, please at gmail dot com. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. Reset Rebel